Welcome again to Rohingya Refugee News, the podcast where we explore critical topics and engage with thought leaders on all aspects of the Rohingya crisis. Our podcast is dedicated to shedding light on the challenges, developments and human stories surrounding Rohingya refugees. I'm your host, Shofir Rahman, and today we have a distinguished guest joining us for an in-depth discussion on how the Rohingya camps are policed. Our guest today is Minakshi Ganguly of Human Rights Watch, and she's the Deputy Asia Director. Um, she's been with Human Rights Watch since 2004. Before then, she was South Asia correspondent for Time magazine, where she reported from Afghanistan, Pakistan, Nepal, India, Bangladesh, and Sri Lanka. And Human Rights Watch has been involved in the Rohingya crisis since uh, 2017. So she's the perfect person to tell us all about uh, what's going down in the Rohingya camps. Welcome, Minakshi. Thank you so much for having me. So my first question is, is this, which is that um, last year and at the beginning of this year, you've issued statements highlighting abuse committed by armed police battalion of Bangladesh. In fact, other human rights groups, uh, for example, uh, Fortify Rights, has also issued statements about APBN, highlighting the same sorts of things. So just very briefly, could you tell us, I mean, who are they, Who uh, this armed police battalion? And what exactly have they been doing in the Rohingya camps uh, that you felt the need to issue statements about? Well, let me draw back a bit. What we began to find in the camps was that there was increased violence. And we found that there were uh, literally what, what the Rohingya call Lashpurache, another body has fallen. And uh, when we started looking into it, of course, we also started looking at what kind of security existed and why were these things persisting. And that's when we found account after account of the security forces that were deployed in the camps to protect the refugees. And we found that they too were committing a vast number of abuses. And that therefore began this work. And just to explain the circumstances in the camps, for a, for a refugee right now, they are at risk from any number of armed groups who can who can demand ransom, they can, there are extortions, there's forced recruitment. And yet, when they go for any kind of assistance, the only people they have, they have to protect them there are, are the, as this group called the APPN, which is deployed in the camps. And these soldiers themselves, these troops themselves, are also engaged in similar extortion, in similar threats, and, and, and so on. So basically, they have nowhere to go. That really is the circumstance of the Rohingya refugee. After we published this, however, the Bangladesh authorities did take some, uh, pay some attention to this, and there was an investigation. And we hear that some units were moved, some, some of the more egregious ones were moved, but still the circumstances are not great in the camps. Um, and both the armed groups and, and the sort of regular criminals, armed criminals, uh, the, the administrative authorities and the APPN are all uh, failing to protect 
the rights of the refugees. And just so that our listeners understand also, I just want to make a list of some of the things that HRW have noted regarding uh, APBN. You have said that there have been, there's been extortion and arbitrary arrests. APBN officers have been involved in extortion, demanding significant sums of money to avoid arrest or for the release of detained family members. And this, of course, has led to financial burdens and so on. Um, harassment and abuse. There are reports of harassment and abuse by the APBN, including physical assaults. And these actions, of course, uh, highlight heightened fear and vulnerability among the refugee population. You've also said there's been collusion with criminal elements. Um, allegations suggest possible collusion between APBN officers and criminal gangs or armed groups operating within the camps, exacerbating their safety concerns for refugees. And, you know, the list goes on, but one I'll just read one more, which is that there's been wrongful detention and fabricated charges. Many refugees, including those working for NGOs or as teachers, have been detained on apparently fabricated grounds, often related to drug trafficking or violence-related offences. So all this has been going down. Uh, there's been a, I mean, a culture of impunity, if you like, that they can do this without any comeback. Do you think that in the 18 months or so that you've been out, maybe you've issued uh, statements before then, but I, I remember it was the middle of last year. Um, do you think uh, much has changed? I'm afraid not. So let me try and also sort of lay out one of our concerns about Bangladeshi security forces. And this is more broadly a concern in Bangladesh, which is that security forces are seldom held to account for abuses, uh, whether it's the police, whether it's the rapid action battalion, whether it's the military. Um, repeatedly, we found that when violations occurred, serious violations, including extrajudicial killings and enforced disappearances, the government tends to just deny all these allegations. And then, uh, which of course creates a, an environment of impunity where these things proceed. Now, in any 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 such circumstance where security forces know they can get away with abuses, the tendency is that corruption creeps in. And therefore, what has happened in the Bangladesh, and then when we look at the refugee situation, of course, there is there is the Bangladesh government really would like them gone yesterday. So there is very little protection for the refugees. So in that environment, the APBN ha is 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 free as is free to do what it chooses, and therefore it ranges from small acts of sadism and bullying, just beating someone up, someone who's passing a check post will just be beaten up or kicked or be you know, abused, verbally abused. There are constant, in fact, verbal abuses. There are alleg serious allegations of, of extortion. And these are often uh, cases that we document. Some of them were cases where a marriage was supposed to happen. So the APBN knew that this marriage was going to be happening and therefore they knew that there was likelihood of some cash or some gold and they would go and extort that. Uh, and the biggest one, of course, is the extortion brackets where people are being picked up and they are basically told that if you do not pay up, um, 
we will frame you in charges of uh, of yaba smuggling and we also have had cases where that has happened we've we've documented cases where family members said they could not meet the demands of the amount that was asked for so they gave a smaller amount and that too uh, was did not satisfy these people and in the interim when these people were being held they were often beaten treated very badly and a number of these people were eventually because the families couldn't pay up have also eventually ended up in in Bangladeshi prisons accused of of smuggling drugs now this is also challenging because there it isn't that there isn't a serious crime situation in the camps but if the if the security forces that are supposed to enforce the law pick and choose and and decide that they're going to arrest people based on whether they've been paid the bribe or not then actually the real criminals are getting away because presumably they do have the money to pay the bribes so it is extremely concerning and something that bangladesh government should care about because in the end these a law and order challenge in the, in in a in a population of a million refugees is something that the government needs to needs to be worried about as much as they do not care very much about the welfare of these refugees anymore yes i just want to give you my particular experience of this impunity um 10th of april last year i received a video of an apbn policeman making rohingya descend into a drain and they, you know, it was dirty drain water there and he had several rohingya standing there in the drain as punishment So I sent the video to Naimul Haq the main APBN officer in Kutupalong. Um he ignored my WhatsApp messages so I called him. I and his response was quite astonishing. He's <laughs> I think he spent a good 5 minutes inquiring into my background. You know not my journalism or anything no it's like um when did i leave bangladesh uh, did i have property in bangladesh uh, where is my original ancestral village if i had any property in my ancestral village and so on and when we finally got to the video he simply denied it he said it was fake when it was clear as daylight that a uniformed apbn policeman was doing this he simply said it was fake and menacingly before we ended the call he said please excuse my earlier questions i wasn't ma- i was just making small talk and nothing else i mean i think he intended to say actually i wasn't making small talk and i want to find out all about you so that just shows the extent of um, of, of their impunity but coming back to where the source of this impunity is um I mean can you discuss the Bangladesh government's uh, role in perpetuating this this impunity I mean they do nothing to censor the media uh sorry they 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 do everything to censor the media covering uh abuses uh they don't investigate uh, they don't hold officers accountable so what do you make of it well it's uh... you know when we first started looking at this and, and i will i will tell you an anecdote of my own in 2009 i remember when uh, when the minus 2 effort was going on and both sheikh hasina and begum khaled azia were had been dismissed from um had were out of the country i think 
Um, I had met Sheikh Hasina, who was uh, then up there for in leader of the Awami League in London. And she had spoken about something which I actually genuinely agree with. She said that security forces commit abuses because their political bosses allow it. And therefore, since she has been in office, the level of abuse that has been occurring, I'm afraid I would throw back what she had said. These abuses occur because there is political patronage. Otherwise, it would not occur. Now, in the case of the Rohingya, in any refugee, when there is a long-term refugee population, we know that host communities begin to get unsettled. And this happens, in I experience in many parts of the world. It is therefore always a, the responsibility of the state to create circumstances where there is more, uh, more amicable settlements between the two communities. Uh, catering to the fears of a host community, catering to the fears of lost jobs or they will take away our women or whatever else are the, are the rumors that fly around um, just doesn't help. But they become sometimes, I suppose, politi- politically expedient and therefore, um, you know, they, they are allowed to, to go on. But the the view that a public view, and you will see this in some of the talk shows as well, that, you know, the Rohingya are a community that is just waiting for handouts, they get free handouts. Now, if you speak to any Rohingya, they will first say they want a job. They will say they want an education. And yes, they really want to go back to their homes. So instead, yes, they cannot go back home right now. And we do have to acknowledge that Bangladesh has not forced anyone to return. But in terms of education and jobs, there are none. So these, they, and, and as the humanitarian assistance dies down, these people are becoming increasingly dependent on 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 even uh, on what little they can earn because their 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 rations have been cut these are the circumstances for the refugees right now and in these circumstances when there is uh, an unsympathetic government an unsympathetic host community and political patronage to uh, to security forces abuses it's 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 very, very uh, likely that what is happening will play out. That there will be there will be contempt for the people that they are supposed to be protecting, which is what the APBN generally seems to feel. A genuine contempt. A speaking, they tend to speak rudely to anyone that they encounter. They will always. Uh, most Rohingya will tell us this. And of course, now that they do not have freedom of movement, a lot of them are are being stopped at checkpoints. They have to they have to deal with the APBN. And then they are then they are insulted and treated badly. So it is it's extremely unfortunate that we have arrived at a point where a, a political leader who acknowledged that security forces abuses will persist as long as there as long as uh, the the political uh, leadership allows it has not been able to clamp down on these kind of abuses, to say publicly that as long as the Rohingya refugees are there, she personally committed to give, to protect them and she believes in that protection and therefore security forces will be protecting them and not abusing them in the way that they are uh, doing right now. I think you're right. The broader context of Bangladesh's human rights record, not just in the camps, but um, in the country itself, um, is reflected in what's happening with APBN. But what what solutions have you proposed to address the culture of impunity 
Um, what have you suggested in terms of mechanisms that that could reduce the abuses that have been going on? Well, you know, the the first thing is really state intent. I can't, I, you know, and this is again, I mean, you know, as you, we work in several countries and in almost everywhere, the first thing that is needed is a clear message that something will not be tolerated. Um, we found, for instance, after a, a retired army officer was killed um, by the police, that the government took action because the army itself was furious. And therefore, there, that particular officer was arrested. And that particular case of, of extrajudicial killing was accepted. But that's the only one that the government has still chosen to accept. That and another case in which I think the bodies floated up in, in uh, several years ago, um, but that was where the RAB, where RAB was, uh, was found responsible. But in, none, in every other case, if the government is really only going to be blanket denying that these abuses occur, then there is a problem. Because then, then one, there's complicity of the state. And if there is not complicity, then certainly there's failure of governance. And so therefore, we really ask for, first of all, an accountable, in, you know, a credible investigation and so on and so forth, um, which we are often promised and, and, and are routinely ignored. Um, the other thing is that, is what the UN had offered. The UN had offered that they could support Bangladesh in investigating these uh, allegations of extrajudicial killings and, and, uh, and disappearances. The government has not, of course, accepted that offer and again denied that any of these incidents occur. And these are incidents that, of course, this, this is not in the camps, but also in the camps. Extrajudicial killings have happened in the camps as well. And we have already seen the reason that these are important, these that these that the government acknowledge all of this is important, is because we've already seen the US government has issued sanctions against the Rapid Action Battalion and some of its leaders. And we are pressing on other governments to also warn that such actions could follow if the Bangladeshi forces continue to act in the way that they do. We are also asking the UN to require extensive vetting so that peacekeeping jobs are not given to people who are uh, accused of severe human rights violations. So at this point of time, as much as we want the government to be much more responsive, we also call upon the security forces themselves to not follow orders that are clearly um, violate, you know, violate international standards. If they, if they do want the international jobs that I think a lot of Bangladeshi security forces actually enjoy jobs. The legal status of Rohingya refugees in Bangladesh, of course, doesn't help any of this. It's it's complex and, and very ambiguous. Um, and Bangladesh doesn't have a legal framework specifically to deal with uh, refugees and so on. But what about simple things like um, complaint mechanisms and disciplinary measures, uh, human rights training? I mean... Those would be just laughed at, right, by the powers that be? Well, unfortunately, uh, unless, the, as I said, the first thing is accepting that these abuses have occurred. The second is to not protect people that commit abuses. So in the, in the, after our report and others who reported about the APBN abuses, for instance, um, it was something uh, that the government apparently did take seriously. There was an inquiry and some units were moved. So to that, to, to, 
to an extent, there was some action taken, but we do not know if any disciplinary action was taken. We do not know if anyone that committed abuses was, was punished. We do not know if anyone was prosecuted, investigated and prosecuted for some very serious crimes, including torture, including, uh, you know, false making for arbitrary arrests, false cases, killings, uh, you know, shooting, shooting at people without uh, due process. Now, these are these are serious crimes. And if the government does not punish these crimes, they will occur again. And we know that they do occur again. Now, the the reason this is particularly important is we also have to acknowledge that there are there is a serious law and order situation in in the camps. There needs to be proper law enforcement. There needs to be protection for civilians. And unless there is a there is a security force in place that works and is determined to protect civilians, as opposed to making money themselves or bullying the bullying the people that they're supposed to protect none of this will get solved. So so there has to be political intent before anything else. If there is political intent, if there is a mechanism uh, where, where the government is committed to provide justice, then yes, then a, then a, a, a complaints mechanism where people can file complaints or, or you know, donors that provide human rights trainings would be effective. But they would only be effective if, first of all, there is intent um, to end such abuses, to create a rights-respecting force, and to and to also acknowledge that as of now, uh, the Rohingya are not going to be able to return. So therefore, they are there for a while, and therefore there needs to be investment in their future. They have to be given livelihood opportunities, education opportunities, and a sense of security so that they can contribute contribute to the Bangladeshi society as long as they are in Bangladesh. Most will go back in a heartbeat if they could. I want to pick up on what you said there regarding um, Rohingya being unable to return at the moment. I think in the past you've said the uh, Bangladesh authorities' increasingly evident intention to repatriate the Rohingya does not absolve the government of its responsibility to ensure their protection. And I think this is key and very critical. And I think uh, Minister Momen has also made some remarks which are pertinent here. For example, he wanted to make life uncomfortable so that Rohingya didn't hang around and went back to uh, to Myanmar. So what's been the impact of APBN's presence on the lives of Rohingya refugees? Um, you know, obviously it's affected their safety and security. So do you think that all of this contributes to pushing them to Bashanchor, to risky sea journeys, and to even contemplate repatriation. Well, from the day that they arrived, the Rohingya have said two things. One, they have expressed deep gratitude back to the Bangladeshi government and the Bangladeshi people because they were given uh, refuge. Um, and they've said it over and over again. Uh, Mohibullah, before he died, would 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 be saying this very, fairly regularly in almost all his public speeches. And since then, of course, there hasn't been that level of leadership. But even so, you, you but in in the programs that they hold, this is the one thing they will say. It is something they say to us as well. The second is that they they cannot go back home right now because 
And this is not Bangladesh, on Bangladesh. Of course, this is on the international community's failure to ensure that, that Myanmar uh, creates conditions for safe uh, return. And that is quite impossible when the same military that, that caused these people to have to flee in the first place because of the atrocities they visited upon them are now uh, have now grabbed power. So therefore, the, the, there is remains, and, and I, we, we completely sympathize with Bangladesh's frustration that there hasn't been enough done to make to make the conditions in Myanmar safe for, for these people to return. So we, we acknowledge that. But the one of the things that we have found, for instance, is that as we speak, I think there are boats out and out setting out um, looking for, for for places where where the Rohingya might get have a chance at a better future, which means that there are traffickers that are operating in the camps. Um, Bangladesh should recognize that these traffickers operate and it is does not absolve themselves of responsibility if these people get in these flimsy boats and, and, and drown, that it remains the responsibility of Bangladesh government to protect these refugees. These are, these are terrible stories that we hear of these people who get on these boats and they're put on another, brought somewhere and their families are called, there's blackmail, there's extortion. And of course, then they, the boats are pushed back from here and there. Uh, we, we know that hundreds of lives were lost last time. We, you know, there are, they are turning up uh, in, in, in really poor conditions on, into Aceh right now in Indonesia. Uh, the Bangladesh government has to hold itself accountable for, for, for these actions as well. Um, to just wish away a million people is not going to work. So they have to invest in the refugee community. They have to pro- provide rights. And yes, we recognize that Bangladesh has not signed the refugee convention, but that does not mean that it does not have the humanitarian responsibility. And Bangladesh needs the support of the international community also on, on the humanitarian front. UNHCR tells us they've received only half of the pledges. Therefore, you know, they, they are not being able to function in the way that they should either. The humanitarian agencies are also now stretched. So there, there are a number of challenges where the, where the international community, the you know, donors and so on, have to step forward. But it has to be in, in a way where they're also reassured by Bangladesh that, that rights will be protected, that Bangladesh government will be enabled and supported, but they will then protect rights, which, does, which means that unleashing abusive um, security forces who are going to bully the refugees and, and, and insult them, is not the one is not the course of action that they will follow and i i want to also finally ask you this which is that this has been going on since 2020 when apbn took over the management of the camps from the army so the army transferred responsibility of security in the camps to apbn and along with APPN, there's all sorts of other security agencies. Um, there's the National Security Intelligence. There's DGFI, the Director General of Forces Intelligence, Rapid Action Battalion, and others. Do you find, Minakshi, that in other refugee contexts, you see this kind of arrangement of forces, of security and intelligence forces required to manage refugee camps? 
it would not be required at this point of time we as a human rights organization basically call for the protection of refugee of, of the refugee population we call upon the host state to ensure that they are protected how the state chooses to do it is is the responsibility of the state state decides it wants to deploy the army or not is is or 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 use other forces that that is the state's responsibility but the state has to also be accountable for ensuring that it's a rights respecting um law enforcement uh, procedure and that unfortunately does not exist in the rohingya camps right now the rohingya will will are are facing as i started to begin with you know they're facing enormous amounts of threats from from various criminal gangs from groups that claim to be affiliated to uh, protecting rohingya rights uh, there there are there there is indeed uh, the smuggling of drugs there is there are some criminal elements as well and uh, and then there are the security forces who seem to be no better they are also engaged in extortion and bullying and ransom seeking and so on so then how is bangladesh upholding its responsibility in protecting these refugees that is indeed a very pertinent question thank you very much indeed minakshi thank you for your work and thank you for coming on board on this podcast thank you so much